Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to Real Skiers with Jackson Hogan. This week's podcast is titled, Why I Don't Write About Bindings, which I then proceed to do for over a thousand words. Bindings are a tricky topic because skiers tend to have strong beliefs about what certain bindings can and cannot do, beliefs that may have only a glancing connection with reality. This despite the fact that bindings are the most knowable piece of gear a skier owns. But I'm merging with my subject matter, so please permit me to segue to why I don't write about bindings. Of the three elements that comprise the ski boot binding system, the binding is by far the most easily quantified, and yet remains the least understood. There's been a standardized series of laboratory tests measuring release values under a variety of loads dating back to my mid-1980s tenure as General Secretary of the ASTM F27 Committee on Ski Safety, and other lab tests that measure shock absorption have likewise been around forever. Before continuing down the binding path, It bears noting that in all the intervening years since I played a part in standards development, no one has come up with a standard for boot flex, shrouding the boot component in a veil of mystery. Boots still reference a flex index, but without a standard behind it, its meaning is fuzzy at best. As for skis, there are standards for binding mounting plate location, but otherwise no limits on design or any other guidelines to help consumers to figure out which skis do what. Quality control in ski manufacturing, while much better than it was, say, 40 years ago, is still a wild card. Among many small batch producers, product consistency remains a significant problem. Bindings, on the other hand, are robotically consistent. Tolerances are tight and rigorously maintained. When it comes to delivering consistent, predictable performance, bindings are way ahead of skis and boots. Yet as far as I can tell, There isn't a single binding sold in America in which the salesperson recites how a binding performs in standardized tests. This most technical of products is usually sold based on some combination of color, price, and the customer's personal prejudices. If the subject of safety comes up, it's commonly brushed aside by noting that all Alpine bindings meet all current standards, which is true enough while still leaving lots of wiggle room for reality. The biggest wild card in the binding selection process is any experienced skier's baked-in bias based on what has, or hasn't, happened to him or her in the past. No matter how a skier gets hurt, the natural tendency is to blame the binding. During my tenure as binding product manager at Solomon, we were sued hundreds of times a year, so I'm familiar with this line of reasoning. By the way, we never lost a case. Since any one skier's experience is, by definition, anecdotal, a one-incident wreck shouldn't overrule all other scientific evidence, but try telling that to the injured skier. Once bitten, twice shy. Whatever countervailing facts may exist that might suggest a different culprit, other than binding malfunction, have little chance of outweighing the injured skier's convictions. There's no way to argue against personal history nor much that can be said to dislodge long-held convictions, even if they're founded on a basis as shaky as pudding. So bindings tend to be chosen more by mythology or belief system, and people don't care to have their belief systems challenged. This is why I don't write about bindings. Their popularity is grounded on faith more than on reason, and no sane person willfully picks an argument with a true believer. 
By now, my more perspicacious dear listeners may be wondering, why am I raising a topic I'm loath to pursue? Because it's new product introduction time in the ski trade, and a new binding has appeared that should appeal to skiers concerned about reducing their risk of knee injury. Of course, all skiers want to avoid serious injury. That's why we use releasable bindings in the first place. But not all bindings can detect and respond to all forces that can contribute to knee injury. I don't want to get too lost in the weeds of ski injuries and what causes them, so let me provide some background that will help clarify what the modern alpine binding can and cannot do. The current generation of alpine bindings was designed to protect the tibia from both twisting and forward-bending torques. In conjunction with the normalized alpine boot sole and standardized inspection methods, the modern alpine binding has worked brilliantly all but eliminating the classic broken lower leg that virtually symbolized our sport in its infancy. But while forces that once snapped the shin, and in an earlier generation broke ankles, were now diffused by proper boot and binding function, there remains more than one way to tear a knee ligament. The knee is vulnerable to forces that can originate from the ski or the skier, and while the latter can be hard to intercept, the former forces originating at the point of ski-snow contact, can be detected and diffused if both the toe piece and heel can respond to twisting forces. The brand with the longest history of making a multi-axis heel is Tyrolia, so it shouldn't surprise that the Austrian company appears to have made the next step forward in releasable heel design. The old Tyrolia diagonal heel needed to begin to release vertically before it could move laterally, reducing lateral torque only after the heel release value was surpassed. In the new full heel release, or FHR, design, it's the side-to-side movement of the entire heel base plate that triggers the heel's 30-degree lateral rotation and concomitant 50% plunge in ACL strain during a backward-twisting fall. Another reason I don't like to talk about bindings, and why technical discussions of their various merits are few and far between at retail, is that once you start to parse all the details, you find yourself telling a story that seems to have no end. So, forgive me while I tease with a few more details, then step off my soapbox. Other aspects of the new Tyrolia protector models that merit mention include the lateral and vertical functions of the full-release heel design have separately adjustable release values. Also, the lateral heel function works in both directions. And finally, the system is elastic within a 7mm range before the heel releases diagonally. After this rare excursion into the world of bindings, I may not cover these bases again for quite a while, so I should take this moment to point out that Tyrolia isn't the only major brand to introduce a new binding this year. Solomon has modified its shift toe piece to create strive. But but I have to stop myself. Too much binding chatter can cause brain cancer in lab rats, so I'll spare you further details, lest I be held liable for your untimely demise. This has been Jackson Hogan. For Real Skiers with Jackson Hogan, thanks for listening.